The Dugout CEO Podcast is on the air. I'm Phil Van Horn, baseball lifer and fan of the Dugout CEO. Each week, Casey Cavell goes around the horn with baseball superstars, Hall of Fame coaches, and business leaders who've used baseball experience to win the game of life. Now batting, Casey Cavell. Welcome to the Dugout CEO Podcast today. I am joined by Tom Roy, the founder of UPI and current leader of Shepherd Coach Network. He is a former chaplain of the Chicago White Sox, NCCAA, baseball World Series chaplain for 30 years, signed with the San Francisco Giants when he was 17 years old, and his background includes working for three years as a head coach in the high school level and 15 years coaching collegiate college baseball. Tom, welcome to the Dugout CEO Podcast. My man, Casey, good to be here with you, buddy. Good to have you here, and uh, so excited that you're on the show today, and uh, I know our listeners are as well. So, Tom, let's start with some uh, fun stuff, baseball. Uh, you got an amazing background as a player and a coach and all kinds of cool things. So maybe uh, just tell our listeners some of your baseball background. Well, in Little League, I started out as a catcher because I was the only guy that would catch with one shin guard and uh, a mask. That's all we had. So, obviously, it meant I was going to be a pitcher someday when you have that kind of mentality, right? And so, uh, yeah, I ended up uh, pitching in high school and actually signed uh, with the San Francisco Giants when I was 17. Uh, I had some injuries career didn't go like I hoped, like unfortunately a lot of guys, but uh, it really, I had a real love of baseball and in reality, God ended up using that. Even though when I was released, I was very bitter. Uh, he came around and, and used that for good. So that's kind of my baseball background. So talk to me about that. You're 17, signed this contract, doesn't turn out the way you want it. What happened after that baseball was? Well, uh, coming home was interesting, right? I mean, any time after a defeat like that, it's different than losing a one nothing ball game. I mean, uh, when I signed that contract, it meant I, I played high school basketball also, and I shot a lot, so I scored a lot. And uh, I, when I signed it, I knew I'd given up all rights to do anything in college athletically. But, I, you know, I'm 17, and I'm like, I'm going to be fine. Well, now I find myself at home. And I needed to think of a career. I was working in a in an aluminum foundry, and uh, I decided to go to a place called Career Academy, which was uh, a, a broadcasting school to learn how to broadcast. Back then, you had to pass three tests. Now you just walk in, and if you're a personality, you're on the radio. But back then, you had an engineering part, an FCC part, and an English part. So I went to school. Uh, ended up getting a job in West Virginia, and uh, I thought that was going to be my career path. Uh, I had become a believer in Jesus right before that, and when I got to the radio station, uh, I got the worst jobs because I was the youngest, so I'm Sunday mornings, right? Uh, and that's faster after pastor after pastor because it's the cheapest time. And uh, one guy I really hit it off with, well, he really challenged me to grow in my faith, and I'm glad I did, like anything, business or whatever. It's an investment that you make in it. That's why I went to school to be an announcer. And now I'm going to school, if you will, not officially, 
And about a year into that, he challenged me to get a college degree. And I said, well, I, I don't have any money and uh, I don't really like college. Uh, we said, well, why don't you go up to our school? And I'd never heard of Grace College, nice hat, by the way, in one on Lake, Indiana. Never heard of it. I'd heard of Marquette, and Michigan State, and, you know, some of those, UCLA. But uh, He said, well, it's a Bible college. Well, it turns out it's an NAIA school. So sure enough, when I got here, I tried out. Everything went well. But then when they found out that I'd played and signed a pro contract, it was over. But in God's economy, the basketball coach, who has been actually with the Miami Heat now for probably 20 years in the front office and with the Lakers as assistant coach, Jet Gammer, he was gracious enough to say, uh, how about if you come here as my manager? By the way, I would suit out for every practice and play the other team's gunner. <laughs> so it was not really a manager, but it was. That was the title. And then I was a pitching coach in baseball. It was awesome. And I learned a lot from Jet and the coaching staff about what it looks like to be a godly man. And I'm not saying that I am, but they taught me a lot, good lessons at that point. And uh, that evolved, if you will, uh, into starting a company first called Diamond Enterprises. And we did baseball clinics in about six Midwestern states. Uh, and then it evolved from that into a thing called Unlimited Potential, which now 42 years later is still running, where we're taking former professional athletes and reaching back into that culture with the gospel. So that's kind of a quick overview. That's awesome. Uh, UPI, that's how we got connected. Um, and, you know, I was somebody that just cared about baseball. But whenever a ministry has Major League Baseball players, I'm listening to whatever they say because I wanted to be that Major League Baseball player. And that ministry impacted my life and many of the people that I know. And I uh, want to talk a little bit more about that, too, now. Was it before you started UPI or after you ended up becoming the head coach at Grace College? That's a good, yeah, I forgot that part, didn't I? It was uh, before, or actually I was the first head coach at a uh, school that merged called Tippecanoe Valley. I was the high school head coach. And then uh, Huntington University came uh, and hired me as their pitching coach and associate director of admissions. And from that, Grace College, their president at the time, came to visit me and said, what are you doing at Huntington, which was, by the way, at our tribal. And so he hired me as the head coach. And Grace College had so much to do, not only with my spiritual growth, but I remember how gracious they were when I started UPI. I went from a 12-month contract to a nine-month contract to a six-month contract to a three-month so that I could keep my insurance. We had no money. It was brand new work. And we walked out in faith to eventually go on full time. So, yeah, that's a very important part of this story that uh, there were people that came alongside. You know, I just didn't jump out of the boat, and walk on water. There was, uh, you know, a little crawl before I walked. Sure. So you're what? A 20 something year old head college coach, right? Just hit 30. Well, when I was a pitching coach, yes, I was 21 when I started it, but. I was the head coach at 29 or 30, yeah. So you're a 21-year-old assistant pitching coach, 29-year-old head coach, trying to lead men. And, you know, everybody that listens to this, you know, they're a leader in some capacity, whether they're leading their family or they're leading a company or they're, they're a coach. How did you get players to follow you? How did you get players to buy in? Because I've seen you in action 
as a coach and players adore you. They love you. I mean, the results you put on the field and off the field, like how do you do it? Well, uh, that's a great question. I think that especially initially it was whoever I followed. You know, I, I was in a very successful high school basketball program as a player. And that coach to me was like God. I was not a follower of Christ, but I saw how he ran practices, how he uh, treated people and all of that. But when I got to Grace and I saw men like Chet Cameron and there were others, I've been sure I could go down the list of different people, Phil Dick and all kinds of people. I realized that I was being a little too authoritarian and, and uh, I was kind of like a, a drill sergeant at times. And uh, that's not bad, but I didn't have that compassion side. And so uh, my philosophy, I, I, I now have a group called shepherdcoachnetwork.com. Let's do that. Um, that my, I had to come up with, my philosophy and it was that people are more important than program program is more important than winning winning is important so i didn't say hey who cares about the scoreboard not at all and i think anybody that played for me knew that at times i went over the top on that one because you know we unfortunately gain our identity on that scoreboard but i always had to come back to that wait a minute people are more important than program program is more important than winning and when i talk program that's a culture and I wanted the culture to be that of Jesus, who was caring, but also had standards. And, uh, you know, the Bible says, whatever you do, do it heartily. So it wasn't like, let's just roll some baseballs out there and see if we can hit them and throw them. There was, you know, uh, a great, I thought for me, other than the last year, great attention to detail. And I think that uh, the men saw that I loved them and that I cared about them. And I think... Uh, it's not one or the other. It's a combination. How did they see that? What does that look like in action? The guys know that you love them and you care about them. What does that look like? I push them to the max and I ask for forgiveness when I walk over the line. I had to unfortunately do that a couple of times when I ran over an umpire in Hawaii <laughs> that I had, uh, my uniform was lost on the flight over, so I had street shoes on, and I did not like calls for two straight games of a doubleheader, and I ran out of the dugout, probably all frustrated for a number of reasons. And I had street shoes, and so I slid right into this little guy, knocked him over. Uh, that was that, So I thought, well, now that I'm over him, I might as well yell at him, you know, one of those things. So I was on him like a rat on a Cheeto, just screaming at him, and I realized that night, man, you know, guys loved it that I was going out there protecting them, if you will, and standing up for them. But I also knew that in my faith, this didn't work. So Casey, of all things, I first of all asked for forgiveness from my players. Some of them didn't like that, quite honestly. But I said, guys, I know, that, you know, we're here to win and we're here to play hard. But then I sensed I needed to talk to the other team. That was hard, and that and it was about obedience. So I asked the coach if I could go into his uh, locker room and talk to the team, and I asked them for forgiveness. And I think that, you know, the guys, all of them saw that as something that was good. Some of them didn't agree with it because they're competitors and they were young men. But I, I think those are the kind of things, when we show people that we're real, uh, ego plays a big part in leadership. You know, you have to have that confidence, uh, and hopefully it's godly confidence without being egotistical. And so trying to understand when I cross those lines, 
Uh, and again, with my philosophy, when in doubt, people are more important. I've always tried to go back to that. Uh, uh, but again, it doesn't take away from setting standards and making them work hard because I think they respect that too. You want to take them where they don't want to go sometimes, right? And you need to push them. But you also want them to know you care. And I think, you know, when I retired from uh, UPI, I think within an hour, the local college asked me to be the head coach again. And I said, no, I'm too old, but I'll come on as an assistant. And they said, no, maybe co-head coach. And uh, I'll just share this with you. I've done seven weddings of those guys since then. Because I think I told them, first of all, anything with two heads is a monster. So the other guy's going to do the talking. And I took on that role of people are more important and the program is important. Uh, so it was a very fun position to be in. Um, you, you don't want to be their best friend so that they like you, but you want them to know you care about. So pushing them to the max and asking for forgiveness. What is what does that look like? Whether you're you know a CEO or a coach, pushing your team, pushing your players, pushing your employees to the max, getting them to believe in more. What does that actually look like? Well, it goes back to I think, and you understand this. You're hiring. You know, well, how do you hire a person? And I, I look for passion. You know, what makes you get up during the day? And then once I know your passion, if I have a few more years on you, I have an idea of the direction I need to get you to be able to obtain that passion, to be able to do what you're passionate about and not just what other people want you to do. Now, those guys that are out there to do just what they want, you know, for the wrong reasons, it's harder. Um, but uh, I think that's the uh, title leader coach. You know, it's not just filling out a lineup card. It's talking to guys and talking about where they could be if they're ready to make a commitment. And if they're not, then I need to know, you know, and uh, if this is recreational, I remember one game we played and I had a guy come up to me, a parent after, and he was all upset. I said, what's wrong? We won. He goes, yeah, but you didn't play everybody. I said, as soon as you take that scoreboard down, I'll stop. I'll play everybody. If This is, you know, softball league and we're just having fun. But the reality is there is a job description that says this is why you're here. And I think as a leader and coach, we have to realize that we might not always be liked, even though that's one of my weaknesses. I want to be liked, but we're there to move these, in my case, men in a direction, not only individually, but as a team. And so it comes with practice, but there's that idea of having a philosophy, first of all, that you always fall back on so that when you do walk off the, the side of it, you're able to come back. If, if not in asking for forgiveness, at least saying, you know what, personally, I, I need to get back on track. The reason I'm here is not to just wear the uniform and yell at umpires. It's to lead these men, and in my case, to be Christ-like men once they're done with the game. Well, let's talk about pushing to the max. You know, as coaches or business leaders, we're pushing others to the max. Do you find that whether it's a a lot of business owners or head coaches, they have somebody that's pushing them to the max? Well, one of my, and I didn't come up with this, but that I tell people is, and I just had a coach write me about this yesterday, everybody needs a Paul, a Timothy, and a Barnabas. A Paul is somebody that you call to say, keep me accountable. I need to keep learning. I keep, keep moving. Um, a Timothy is somebody younger than you that, and, and as a head, as a leader, you have those people, but sometimes the people under you are even older than you and you have to take that role. 
And then a Barnabas is an encourager. And so you cannot be an island. Everybody needs to be a peninsula, even as a leader. And I think it's so important to have that Paul in your life that is going to push you and keep you accountable for what you're supposed to be doing, not just a job description. I've had job descriptions, and they look great the day you sign them, then you put them in the drawer, right? You need to have flesh and blood next to you or somebody you can call to say, are you on course? And let me teach you. I'm here because I, I as a leader, give them permission. And you're great at that, you know, as a consultant, to be able to talk to somebody to say, what am I doing right? What am I doing wrong? I'm going to leave my ego here right now. I have to take it on at some level when I'm leading because it takes confidence. But again, that's a whole discussion. Um, but I have somebody else in my life, just like I'm leading them. I need somebody to lead me. Sure. I love that. Now, is that a little bit about what you're doing with Shepherd Coach? Talk to us about that. Yeah, Shepherd Coach is uh, reaching into good coaches, making them better coaches, because in my situation here, my belief, I want to share things about who Christ is and how that can make the, my philosophy work and to challenge them with that. And so I have an eight-week course that I give them. Uh, well, they pay for it. I don't give it to them. I want to be careful what I, how I say that. But uh, And then they have me for a year after that so that I can be a and I've found that that has been, it's been crazy, Casey. Uh, the course is fun because it's one-on-one. -on -one. It's not like a group of 30 people and principals. It's how are you doing? Where are you at? What are your gifts and talents? Now let's talk about that. I have a curriculum. But that rest of the year, hey, Tom, this is going on. What would you do? I absolutely love that. And I'm finding that that's a bigger part. Uh, not a bigger part, but a, a, an important part when these guys call me back or gals, I have some females too that are big coaches, say, what would you do in this situation? Uh, so I love that position of playing a Paul with them. I love it. So, you know, you, you mentioned the name of Jesus a few times, right? I remember growing up as a baseball player, all I cared about was baseball. I remember somebody interviewed somebody after they hit a home run and how'd you do it? Well, I got to get all the praise to my savior, Jesus. And I, I remember thinking like, what? He helped me. He, he's, they're like, oh, he helped me do it. I'm like, what? He didn't help you do it. You have to, I don't understand. Yeah. And later in life, it started making more sense. But talk to me about this Jesus person, because there's probably people listening to this, either they know him or they don't know him, or he's, they have these opinions about who this person is. Talk to me more about, you know, this person, because you're using this person in a lot of your teaching, whether it's principles and all that kind of stuff. Talk to me about, about that. Well, I think there's a misconception, you know, people think church, I'm talking Jesus. And so what I had to do, I was challenged. I shouldn't say I have to do. I was challenged to find out who he was, not to find out what church was because that's a system and I'm for church and I go to church and all that kind of stuff. But I started reading, especially the book of John. And I had to come to grips with either he was who he is, said he is, or he's a liar, or he's a salesman, something, you know. And he said he was the son of God. So it came to a point in my life, had nothing to do with baseball or coaching. I realized that he was the son of God and that he died for me. The stuff that we celebrate at Christmas and Easter was all true. And I asked him to forgive me, take over my life. Now, how does that play into being a fine athlete, uh, you still have to run your sprints. You still have to take your tee time in baseball or in golf, I guess. 
you still have to throw BP and you have to take infield outfield. But it's the inside of me. In other words, I know who I am now. And I know that he goes before me. And I know that he has given me opportunity. And I know that he is sustaining me in those moments when I feel like I, I can't do this. Uh, hey, Tom, I put you there for a reason. He doesn't verbally say that to me, but the word of God does. That once we become a child of his, once we ask for his forgiveness, uh, he allows things to happen in our life. And so when I hear players say that, I was like you, but when I hear players say that now, I have a better understanding. This is not my whole life, but I'm sure thankful for the opportunity because the other side of it is when I strike out, he must have allowed it. Yeah, but I have some responsibility too. And that's that fine line. So it's not about getting better baseball skills if you ask Jesus to come into your life, but you have bigger purpose and you know who you are. And we all struggle with that. We all struggle with work. And so sometimes part of my course is talking about redefining, well, you know, what does that look like? And so I have a high school coach, let's just say high school, most of mine have been college, but, um, and they're playing a game and they're 15 and all. And I say, what would happen if you played the Dodgers? You'd be on 15. So let's redefine a win. You know, let's look at the smaller parts of the team because it's not only that you have a good, that's awesome that you have a great record, but who are you playing? You know, and I remember I did some part-time scouting for three different teams. That was always the thing. Yeah, they're not facing Sandy Colfax. They're facing Sandy Beach or something. You know, it's not the guy's throwing 74. Don't get too excited if this guy's hit the ball. And I think that, uh, Having Christ in my life is a continual reminder that he loves me, that my performance does not mean that much to him, although whatever I do, I need to do it heartily. And uh, if I can give him credit, I want to do that. Not to take it away from me that I had to put in hard work, but to say I realize that because I have this understanding of who I am, uh, I can go out there and play free. And guess what? Occasionally I hit a home run. Wow. That was awesome. Thank you, God. I was freed up because I know who I am in you. So that's, I mean, this is an answer we could talk about for hours, right? Sure. sure. I love how you simplified it. And, you know, I came to you as a, what, 26-year-old guy that, you know, on paper, I accomplished my goals. The only thing I didn't really make was the big leagues, but I tried. Um, and you, you gave me the Bible and told me to read the book of John, and I thought you were crazy. Um, yeah. and gave it a couple of weeks and I did, I just read the wrong book of John. I read one John, which didn't make a whole lot of sense. And that's the advice I'd give to any listeners, because I think that is a story and it's either you believe it or you don't, but if you do believe it, it changes everything. So, you know, whether you want to have a Bible or we can ship you one, I'll do that. I'll put notes in the, uh, the show notes that can give you some resources that can help you because if you are not a Christian or a Jesus person, that book, that Bible, that book of John is a very simple story. And you referred that to me, gosh, 15 years ago, and it's changed my life. So thank you for sharing that, Tom, for sure. Um, and like I say, Casey, a lot of people just think church. I just got back from Europe and I was working with a lot of German people, uh, baseball guys, and uh, they don't want a whole lot to do with church. Well, Church is different and where you live and who you're at, what church and all that kind of stuff. That's why it's just like in athletics or in business. Let's get down to the basic fundamentals first. Then we'll determine how to make the widgets after that, right? And uh, 
who is Jesus? That's that's the challenge. I love it. Well, let's talk about UPI. Um, it's been around for 40-something years. So anything that's been around for 40-something years is doing some really cool things. And UPI is impacting tons and tons of professional baseball players, their families. Talk to me about UPI, what you did, how you built it, and then kind of what they're doing today. Well, it started out, uh, like I mentioned earlier, I had a company called Diamond Enterprises. And what UPI did was took that same concept of doing baseball clinics, but sharing Christ and working through a local church to help you know us set up things. So uh, the first one was in Milwaukee. It actually happened during Billy Graham. Uh, he had a big crusade there. And my friend wrote to me and said that uh, they're doing a baseball clinic and so I called them and they said, we don't have a clue how to do a baseball clinic, but the brewers were brand new in Milwaukee and they were the big thing. So through a lot of different discussion, I end up in County Stadium on a napkin writing down how we might do this. The next day we do it. And it was it was awesome. And uh, they, the Grab Association, challenged me to do this full time. And I'm like, uh, I'm a baseball coach. You know, I love doing this. This was great. I'm not a theologian, but I really got interested in more understanding of the scripture and such. Uh, a little bit later, the chaplain of all things for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers challenges me, when are you going to quit nickel and diamond it, step out? You know this is something God's going to use. Well, I had a lot of people saying, uh, you might get a real job. And I understand that, right? But when my wife said, what's the difference if uh, college provides your income or God provides it direct? And I thought, well... So I went out and started this non-for-profit, but it started out to be baseball clinics in major league cities uh, on a Saturday when the uh, team is playing at night and we do it Saturday mornings. Well, it's evolved quite a bit. All of the staff are former professional baseball players reaching back into the culture. Uh, I was a chaplain for the White Sox. I used to do baseball chapels. I was the itinerant runner in the Midwest kind of. My friend Sam Bender of Chapel would have me do the White Sox, and then the Cubs, and the Brewers, and the Indians, and the Pirates, and the Reds, and the Tigers, and I just keep doing that circle. Well, then when Vince Noss took over Baseball Chapel, he decided he wanted one chaplain for each team, and I did the White Sox for a number of years. Uh, Mickey Weston came on board, Tim Cash, Terry Evans, uh, Paul, um, Paul uh, Don Gordon. I, the list of guys that it was amazing to me. These were professional major league players, many of them that wanted to serve Christ through baseball. And so in God's economy, he brought them on and little by little trained and grew. And like you say, I think uh, the biggest uh, thing here is that we're still around after 42 years. And when we talk baseball, you know, people ask me occasionally, what's the difference between double AA, A, triple A and the big leagues? And a lot of it, consistency. You know, the big leaguer needs to show up every day. And that, that's why you're in the minor leagues, to be able to see what you can do. And when they feel like, because almost all those guys have ability. That's not the issue. They may have three tools, five tools, one tool. But do they show up every day? Are they true pros? Are they giving their best? Are they giving their best? And so I think that that is the thing as I look back on it, that, man, we just showed up every day. We just showed up every day, and it was nothing fancy. Now, people think, oh, you dealt with these major league players. Guess what? They're people, and uh, they want to have truth spoken to them by people they trust. 
And so now Mickey Weston is running the organization and taking it way beyond where I was. And it's become a lot more discipleship, deeper, deeper, deeper. And, uh, but still does do, they do outreach. So it's just been a great thing to look backwards and say, wow, uh, I was able to hand the baton. Actually, I bought a literal baton, gave it to Mickey with a Bible verse in front of about 60 ball players and said, here you go, buddy. And, uh, that analogy helped me because I see a lot of leaders that want to hold on, you know, and I just sense that God said, pass it on, go home and see what happens. And it worked. Well, let's, uh, let's end it here. The last pitch you threw, tell me about it. Not me, but like recently. Yeah, it was, uh, four days ago, uh, at Grace college from 40 feet, four inches, uh, <laughs> They asked me to throw out a pitch, and uh, quite honestly, Karen was like, oh, no, because I have uh, I pulled a rib or something, dislocated a rib right before this, coming home from Italy, and I'm like, oh, no. So I went out there, and of all things, I threw a strike, Casey. It was unbelievable. I And I told Karen later, my arm hasn't felt this good in 55 years and 73 and a half. I'm like... I think I can pitch again <laughs> from 40 feet. But, uh, yeah, there's a new baseball stadium they're going to be building, and they asked me to throw out the first pitch, so I did. Yeah, and, you know, they named it. They named the stadium after you. I mean, how cool is that because of all the things you've done for them over the decades? And, uh, Tom, truly the impact that you've made on people, the impact you've made on me, um, it's just amazing. And this knowledge and wisdom that you share here today, it's so good. I'm going to – figure out how I can summarize this stuff and put it in the show notes and all of that. So thanks again. And how would somebody go and get a hold of you, Tom, if they want to learn more about you and shepherd coach and all that kind of stuff? Yeah. First of all, it's Tom Roy UPI field because I fought against my name being on it. So they threw that in a committee meeting and threw my name with it, but uh, it's, it's what UPI is also, but uh, they can get in touch with me. I'll give you my phone number if you want it. I don't care. I'm a lonely guy. Uh, email Troy at upi.org. You can put that in the notes. Uh, my phone is 574-376-0162. Please text first because I'll hang up if I don't see your name on there so that I'll know that it's you. Um, but, uh, yeah, then I have a website, uh, www.shepherdcoachnetwork.com, uh, and I have different media and stuff on there. Um, if I can help anybody, I'd love to be there for them. Love it, Tom. Well, hey, thanks for being a guest on uh, the Dugout CEO podcast and really appreciate you. Dugout Nation, Tom Roy. Wow, what an amazing show today. Thank you so much for the wisdom that you shared with us today. Here are three big takeaways that I got. Number one, how to reach your fullest potential. You need to have someone that will ask you, are you on course? Even coaches need coaches. It is so important that you have that person in your life that is going to push you and keep you accountable for the things that you should be doing. Number two, how to lead people and get their buy-in. People need to know that you're a good example, both on and off the field. They should see that you love them and care about them. And it's not one or the other. It's a combination. But how do people actually know that you love them and care about them? Hold them to the highest of standards and ask for forgiveness when you cross the line. And number three, people are more important than the program 
the program is more important than winning. That was his concept of how he leads people, and it was super cool to hear what that means and how he takes action on that. So people first, program second, but the program is more important than winning. And if you do that, you will win more both on and off the field. Thank you for joining us once more for another episode of The Dugout CEO. We want to get you the tips you need to become an MVP of what you do. Sign up for our Friday Focus newsletter and you'll receive a valuable tip each Friday morning to help you build the business and life you want. You can sign up by going to caseycavell.com or click the link in the show notes. And make sure to hit the subscribe button so you get notification on our next episode. And one way you can help us book more great guests like this is to please leave us a rating and honest review in the Apple or Spotify podcasting app.